Welcome to Who Knew. We are fans of the current series of Doctor Who, and here we discuss our likes, dislikes, and insights into the modern regeneration of the show. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher, or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash whonewpodcast. All our episodes are on whonewpodcast.com. You can leave comments there, or email us at whonewpodcast at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram and Twitter account. Tweet at us at whonewpodcast. And find us on Facebook. Today's episode is episode 11 of season 7, The Crimson Horror. Two things are facts about this episode. It's crimson, and it's a horror. <laughs> this episode is written by Mark Gaddis, directed by Saul Metstein. It originally aired on the 4th of May, 2013, and was originally watched by 4.61 million viewers. Hi, this is Eugene. Let's introduce ourselves. Hello, it's Kelsey. Hey there, it's Josh. Hi, this is Brian. Hi there, this is Frank. Hello, this is Auburn. In a morgue in 1893, a man identifies his brother's red-dyed corpse and confirms that he is the latest victim of the Crimson Horror. He he then goes to Madame Vastra with the idea of an optogram where the eye retains the image of the last thing it sees. Vastra dismisses the idea as absurd until he produces a photograph of an eyeball with the image of the doctor reaching towards it. Vastra and her gang investigate Sweetville, a place that only recruits the best and the brightest, and is decided that Jenny will pose as a new recruit. At the recruitment meeting, Mrs. Gilliflower is sermonizing about moral decay and shows the crowd her own daughter, Ada, who was blinded by Gilliflower's late husband. She preaches about her different path with Sweetville as a shining city on the hill. Jenny humbly signs up. The plan is to uncover its darkest secret and find the doctor. Vastra gets evidence that the Crimson Horror existed in her time 65 million years ago. At Sweetville, Ada brings dinner to something locked in a room. Later, she is having dinner with her mother and asks if Mr. Sweet will be joining them. Mrs. Gillyflower says Mr. Sweet is tired. When no one can see her, she drops salt under the top of her dress. Well, <laughs> that's my comment. <laughs> well, the the date and the locator are on the building as if it's part of the building instead of like superimposed as a yeah. You not can miss part. it easily. Yeah. Um, is Jenny of is she a time traveler or is she of that Victorian time? She's I of want, that time. I want yeah. I want to say of that time. And the last time we saw the Pottenaster gang was in the Snowmen. Okay. I also think, what's the um the lizard lady's name, Madam Madam Vastra? Okay, that is what I was gonna say. I also think with Madam Vastra, for someone who is purposely covering her face with a veil, she sure unveils herself pretty darn often. Right. But only for dramatic purpose. Yeah, only for dramatic purpose, exactly. At the right moment. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else noticed this, but on Ada's eyes, you can tell those are contact lenses because you can see like mesh in the the. the pupil parts we're just watching it on bigger screens that's what i thought at first but like they never went to it Hmm. and that's why i think it was a mesh instead of purposeful like a honeycomb Mm -hmm. i like strax in that he thought he'd be the one to go undercover of course i'll go (laughs) 
It was done well. Okay, I don't like their dynamic all that much in some of it, because I think they play him too much of a fool, but this one I thought worked well when he's, yeah, of course I'm going to be the one who goes. I'm the one who's going to do the strategy. Uh, I like how part of the plan was to find the doctor, and the plan to find the doctor was to run past, keep out signs, ignore signs of danger, go where things are the worst. It's like, oh, business as usual. Right. <laughs> and what did you call them? The Pontifer gang? Pater Paternostra. The Our Father gang. Oh, okay. D was that from the last episode we saw them in? I don't uh -huh. remember them having a name. They, they don't mention it themselves, but that is what they are referred to because of where the mansion is located. It's okay. on um, it's on a short prequel uh, video, and there's like this narrator, and and the narrator does say the Paternostra gang. It's Latin for our father. Okay. Well, I like the Paternostra gang. I think I've said that before. So I really enjoyed the beginning of this episode and starting with them. And and um, you don't see the doctor. Claire. Yeah, you, you don't see the doctor, and 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 you see the doctor, but he's part of the mystery, and I really like that. I because re we're so used to the doctor walking in to a mystery. And for some reason, I kept thinking the person you're going to see last is your killer. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, right. I had that connected going, why would the doctor kill? And just sort of, wait a minute. Okay, that's not what I they know. But, but that's what you, I think you're supposed to you're be supposed to led that. to think that. And that's why you're like, oh, you know, like right. what happened? You want to, you really want to find out. And um, yeah, I just, I really like the begin how this episode starts. And the very beginning with um, Edmund and his so-called wife, you know, if I'm not back in an hour, you can get help. And then right away, uh, Gillyflower comes in going, so sorry about your husband. He's fine. He just walked and then the scream happens. It was, like, it was just to get us the it, body. It, it seems like it's, it, it seems like it's a little time timey wimey thing because they're coming out of the elevator before something happens to the husband and it's like no no they're just they're just they know what's about to happen to the husband well also too that's the hallway jenny goes down later so you think oh no she's going where that right. guy went and much like the last episode i enjoyed this cold open it ends right where it should yeah to keep us, to keep us going it's a really good mystery. And at the time, I remember seeing Diana Rigg. <laughs> really yeah. being happy to see yeah. yeah. I, I didn't recognize her. <laughs> That's funny you mentioned that, Frank, because you mentioned uh, Jenny has a cat suit, much like Emma Peel. Which yes. Diana yes. Rigg. Uh -huh. That's yeah. from the Avengers. Oh, that's neat. I laughed. I, I wonder if Jenny in her cat suit was inspired by Diana Rigg, and they were like, hey, wouldn't it be great if we got Diana Rigg in the Jenny episode? Yeah. I think they, they realized, how I viewed it was they realized what they had, so that's why they made it such a dramatic unveiling. Right. You know, and I was just like, I'm in the cat suit. You know, and that shot between the legs, isn't that one of the in, like famous Avengers posters as isn't, well? Isn't that the, the the movie, the new movie? Maybe. But probably that or based it's, from it's, the old. Hmm. Yeah, but yeah. It's definitely connected because it is definitely James Bondish too. Yeah, mm, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. So real quick, was the actor who played the brother and the first fella, is that the same actor, just with a mustache? Yes. Yes, correct. Okay, okay. <laughs> Uh, I started to realize it later because I slightly recognized that actor just from the, you know, the, the back of my mind. And then I was like, wait, isn't that the guy? Oh, wait, are they supposed to be like twins? Or, or, or And then I was just like, whatever, dude, they're brothers. They look like. Yes. <laughs> I didn't pay attention to that either. I was actually going, wait, they're, they were the same person. They just, okay. you know, just it's like, okay. By that I mean, point, I was wrapped up with his name is Mr. Th Thursday? What a yep. yeah. bizarre I name. I didn't notice. Yeah. yeah, well, the only reason why I noticed is because I was writing this thing up. Like, wait, what's his name? <laughs> That's crazy. I do think that um, 
knowing now that this was a Mark Gaddis episode, it really feels like a Mark Gaddis episode. This is uh, with, with with the humor and um, the the playfulness during a heavy subject. I'm sorry, guys. It's, it, I think we're gonna have another disagreeing mint episode discussion. <laughs> it's like, yeah, this is very much like Mark Gaddis. Uh, As as I said to Frank, we just have to admit he sucks. (laughs) (laughs) We love him to death, and you can always be Mycroft. But don't write anything anymore. (laughs) No, no, I I disagree. (laughs) Well, I I mean, it's like I only came to that last night. It's like I've been fighting it for so long. Well, his stories tend to be very kitschy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, And they always kind of catch me off guard at first, and I'm like, what are you doing? And then I'm like, oh, that's what you're doing. All right. And then I just sit back and kind of enjoy it. Yeah, you um, gotta go but, with it. But they're definitely kitschy outside of um, the... They don't have the edge that the series, I think, is uh, well-received for. Yeah, they're a little too broad. Well, this was definitely a cult, you know? So the whole Sweetville is like, okay, we're inducting mm-hmm. people into this cult. And that's all... It was very blatant. Yeah. Well, by, by edge, I mean just the... Um, there's there's like i said there's his his stories tend to be more playful and he uses a lot of heavy subjects like a cult and aging and different things like that and there's not a lot of irony and and um uh like a twilight zone type of vibe to his stories and i think that's what gravitates people like us to doctor who is that right. sort of enjoyably creepy and, but sincere vibe and his is more like isn't this fun right and sometimes <laughs> it lands kind of kitschy one thing I think that did work was when Jenny is in line when everybody's going into Sweetville and she gets out of line to break into the hallway door and the woman's there going, what are you doing? What's happening? <laughs> she gives us some money. It was just faint, cause yeah. distraction. That was a great fall. Yeah, she, <laughs> she turns <laughs> around. Oh, <laughs> old L- literally on a dime. <laughs> yes. No, on a guinea. <laughs> yeah, on a guinea, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> Well, Brian, I'd like to bring the text you had you sent me on Tuesday that says Mark Gaddis sucks. It wasn't last night. <laughs> it was oh, was Tuesday. it? Was like, <laughs> well, my memory. But right. I think the the characters are also great. Like, I mean, yeah, I, uh, I love the the banter between the three of our uh, investigators. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love the Paternoster Gang. I think I like them much more than the average Doctor Who fan. Um, I, I, I mean, I should I, save it. I'll save it to the end. I felt like the first part of this was almost a pitch for a spinoff with them. Mm-hmm. I'd love them yes. to have a spinoff, like a Sarah Jane Adventure yeah. own spinoff. I'd love that. I so wanted them to do that. She is so good under all that makeup. Well, also, uh, I'll, I'll sing some more praises. I think with the three of them, they've all gotten into their characters now. Like, they they know where their characterizations are. And I think the the makeup team or the effects team, like, I noticed a lot more close-ups on Vastra in this episode. Yeah. Like, you could really see her eyes, like, you know, close enough and with the HD that you can actually see some more of her acting um, through the makeup. So that was really yeah, neat. I, I'm, I've always been impressed by that makeup job on that character to the point of like that shouldn't work it's it, she's yes. a lizard she's a lizard lady like to a t like enemy mine even though that was that wanted to kind of work for me that looked good though that, that looked good, good you know but um it's just like she's a per she looks ex- they don't hide her eyes they don't hide her eyelash she's half person half lizard it should look stupid but it never does it it looks really good and you really sense her you know and i think that's a testament to the way makeup's done mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for sure 
Well, the original V was very different. <laughs> I think it's a lot yeah, better yeah. than that. <laughs> yeah. But at the time, it was, you know, what they had. One tiny thing, I love the fact that when Jenny does get out of line and picks the lock, it is into a door that says no entry. Mm -hmm. so she's, she's, she's literally doing... What they said. She what they said. Yeah, yeah, there was a little totally. callback. Mm -hmm. So... I like Jenny. And they don't, and what I like is they don't make it obvious. In fact, I don't even think, there's never even a close-up of the sign. Right. Mm. It's just back there. It's like, oh, hey, look at that. Another good thing about this section, <laughs> while we're on it, the locations and the costuming are very convincing. It's, yes. it's amazing mm -hmm. that this is like what BBC is good at, these period pieces. And it really shines through this episode. I just wish I could like it more. Yeah, it looks really good. Uh, I will just say back to Diane Rigg. This whole episode, it looks like she's just having a ball. Yes. Like, yeah. She, it, some some actors and actresses of note, you get a sense of like, well, I am this person lending myself to this project. She mm -hmm. looks like you know she's getting into the craggy old character. You know, then she's her, when her personality switches from being you know cordial to mean, dumping the salt down. Like, and even the special effects at the end, like she when she uh, you know spoilers whatever, uh, she rips the top of her shirt off to expose the, the alien. It, it, like, it, it, she totally was getting it. She didn't seem like some old lady. They had to explain what was happening. So like, I could see her on set being like, no, 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 I got it. And <laughs> and, 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 real, and, and, and really just getting into the character and really amping it up. Like, I didn't feel like, sure, there's some who were like, I don't understand what all these words are that I'm saying, but I'll say them. What little creature? The Emerald Horror. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't know. Oh. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Josh, I think I have something at the end that will explain the fun you're you're picking up. On. Oh, good. Is that an actual a recreation of that thing? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a little magnet frog that Frank has. Oh. <laughs> and it was it was wrapped around the, the light. So it was like, oh my god, it's Mr. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> it's his cousin, Mr. Sour. Mr. Green. Yeah, Mr. Sour. The Emerald Horror. <laughs> <laughs> No, I've just been like, I've been holding it this whole time going, I need to premiere this at the right time. <laughs> the salt, but the giving the salt down her blouse was odd. Like at that point, it's like, what is going on and why salt? Like, okay, there is something really weird going on here. Yeah, I know. I loved that. And especially not remembering what the reveal yeah. was going to be. And, yeah. and Diana Rigg in that scene, because what, what she's doing is like silly, but she's totally like 100% into it. It's like, oh, keep the devil at bay. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> oh, no one's looking. Ooh, I'm yeah. twirling my mustache as I'm dropping the salt. Like so into it. It's great. It, it really reminds me of what Josh said. They're like, okay, now you have to take the salt, but I, I got it. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it helps, but it, it definitely makes it more imposing that most of the time around her, everyone else is just like silent and wooden, mm. like all of their yeah. entourage of people like, yeah. So it just amplifies all everything that she's doing by putting those, I guess they're not zombies. I guess they're cult members behind yeah, her, around her. They're almost like drones. They're just background set, uh, set dressing, really. Mm. What is it? This the attack of the supermodel? Yeah, <laughs> at the end, yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I, I assume we'll talk about it, but there is that starts to bring up this episode has a heavy agenda of xenophilia. Is that mm. the right word? Or, no, that's wrong. Z xenophobia. Yeah, no, <laughs> she doesn't love it. She hates it. <laughs> of, of xenophobia and like, you know, the superhuman and all that stuff like that. So. Tiny little quibble. I'm sure they had to do it because of the camera angles and the blocking, but she does throw the salt over the wrong shoulder. But, you know, mm. that's just a quibble. Oh, yeah, she does it over her right. Yeah, right. She does it over right. right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Because that's the devil sits on your left shoulder and the angel sits that's on right. your right. I'll have to check later when I'm in when I'm in conflict about something. <laughs> Jenny discovers the locked room containing the prisoner Ada has been feeding. Inside she finds the doctor, who is covered by the crimson horror, in pain and unable to speak. Jenny grabs his clothes and leads him out. To avoid being noticed by Ada, they go into the red-lit room. There, they see prisoners being dropped into a giant bat of crimson horror. At the same time, Ada discovers that her prisoner has escaped. The doctor has Jenny put him into a conversion room with his clothes and his sonic. A zap or two later, the doctor emerges as his old self again. They must stop Mrs. Gillyflower and find Clara. Clara? Jenny asks, confused. But Clara's dead. Long story, but he'll keep it short. It's wibbly-wobbly in Yorkshire, 1893. Edmund meets the doctor and Clara. Mrs. Gillyflower is a chemist and has built a factory where no one comes out. Optograms are possible if the body is massively corrupted. A victim has an image of a person in their eye. Crimson horror is a poisonous venom. The doctor and Clara are reunited. Mr. Sweet is Mrs. Gillyflower's secret partner. They are dumped into the vat. Clara is in a trance, preserved for some purpose. The red-skinned doctor is a rejected test subject. He is alive and Ada locks him away. Later, Edmund runs screaming into the doctor's room and dies, with the image of the doctor trying to reach him imprinted on his eye. And see. <laughs> now, did any of you guys notice the difference in the photo in the picture of the doctor? It was slightly different. I feel like the one that was in the, the dark room that they developed was the same image that they use in the main title of the doctor, mm -hmm. like his profile pic, which is not the same as his gnarled crimson horror. Well, when I, it is, it's sort of the same as the second one. It's just less threatening. It's, mm. It looks more like surprise. Like maybe he's reaching mm. out for like, oh, maybe I can help you. And then later on you see it's like, oh, it's 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 exaggerated. But someone with a discerning eye is going to see it's a different picture. I did enjoy the sepia tone flashback. That was, yes. that was really a lot of nice. With the brevity that it was told, just like Brian read it. Yeah, and the music totally fit with that tone that they were going for. It was a fun way to do all the exposition. <laughs> yeah. It was a fun little thing, but Eugene, did you have the same reaction I did going, oh my God, every time this show gets delivered, the client's going to reject it, saying that it's, it's out a, of focus it's, and yeah, glitchy. Deep, and yeah. There's it, just, you just know every single time client's going to come back, oh, this is all messed up. Like, nope, it was meant to be like that. Creative intent, accept yeah. as is, and don't be stupid. <laughs> I mean, other than the the music, the the film grain, film dust, and the jitteriness, the iris was a little blurred around the edges to give us more of that uh, old-timey, mm -hmm. hand-cranked quality. Yeah. I like that as well. Just nice touches. I really enjoyed it. And we also get the Crimson Horror, the title of the episode in that flashback mm -hmm. i like i like how they're making a big deal that this is up north mm -hmm. in yorkshire and so when the doctor's got the northern accent where he's just like oh the, the missus and i are chuffed it's just so funny because it's so over the top well especially uh jenna's reaction to him or clara's reaction to him <laughs> yeah. like what are we doing <laughs> and when she does it it's like i almost wanted to be like no no don't do that <laughs> so one criticism of this particular section is that the green screen, when Jenny goes and finds those gramophones faking us out that there is a big factory or something industrial behind those doors. The factory that, doors? Yeah, that looked really good, the scene extension. But when the people are getting dumped or dunked into the vat, through when after Jenny frees the doctor and they look through this window as they're trying to escape, that looks super fake. It just really stood out to me. Yeah. 
Um, back to the flashback, we get the second reference to the fifth doctor where love it. where he says brave, brave Heart to Tegan. Uh, yeah, right. Or Braveheart to Clara as meaning Braveheart Tegan. But there's also another one. Is, is he called her Tegan? No. Huh? No. But the he just says Braveheart. Oh, okay. Okay. But I'm I'm used to it being Braveheart Tegan, Tegan or whoever. Yeah. Uh and then the other one was that the doctor mentions that the TARDIS the TARDIS used to be worse about landing in intended destinations, saying that long time trying to get a gobby Australian to Heathrow Airport. That's the one I was thinking. And that's Tegan. <laughs> Yes, that was her whole uh, arc. She was a flight attendant and then got snatched up with the fifth doctor and then was trying to get back ever since. Mm. I did like that Vastra was right, even though she was wrong. It worked out well. That the whole idea of the image being on the eye, that's not right. That's not science. That's not it. But then it's explained if the chemical composition of the body has been so corrupted, then it'll hold that image, which was like, okay, there's a reason why it's doing it on this. Yeah. Planet. I like that. I thought the I thought the exact same thing. I was like, that just isn't physically possible, but suspension of disbelief. And, and then they came up with that. And I was like, oh, all right. Thank you. <laughs> right? It's like, you wrote the line that let us accept it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, this and one they did. that's what you all are always asking for. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It was exactly. great. Exactly. It was perfect. So that's all you they, need to do. When they you. don't do it, we point it out. But when they do it, we also right, point right. it out. <laughs> we'll give them credit. Uh, a thing that was improv was when the doctor came out of the conversion chamber and is all doctory with full of energy. Oh yeah, he, very doctory. He, he dips Jenny, kisses her, and she. That was improv by Matt Smith. He said we should really? do this, and then he told Jenny, "Slap me," and she really slapped him and left the mark. Nice. <laughs> Good for her. Yeah. <laughs> I think it goes to Brian's earlier point. Mark Gaddis sucks. <laughs> I liked that. Oh, because this because he didn't top. come up with. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I got you. I kept thinking how Jenny would be thinking. How dare you? I'm a married woman. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Even from the guy that's not the character that it's, I guess, happening to, and not the writer. Whatever. <laughs> also, the whole Frankenstein reference. Mm -hmm. You know, but I also got it with the blind caretaker. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I like the Forgot mystery of the monster. Having it be the doctor was even better. Like, and then getting that Frank, the way he's walking and everything. And um, yeah, I like and that. I really like the sound effects too. That he he would creak mm -hmm. <laughs> like 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 hardened leather. Mm. Oh, I looked this up, and the the superstition of the eye retaining the last image was referenced in the fourth Doctor episode or story that we've done with the Weirn in the Ark in Space. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Hmm. I did like how he said, uh, was it, I don't think it was Jenny. I don't think he'd gotten Clara back yet. But he was like, do you know the Romani uh, superstition about mm -hmm. the image? And it was like, oh, good. He said Romani because that's gypsies. Yes. Right. But that's not a good, that's bad. So call them what they are, which is the Romani. It's like, oh, well done. I'll give Gaddis credit for that one. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you explained that because I thought he was talking about the Romans. 
Oh, the uh, subtitles helped on that one. <laughs> I wasn't sure about the conversion process. Hopefully somebody can clarify. Now, the people who were rejected turn red and die. The ones who follow the conversion get put into the glass dome. Mm -hmm. Or does she use them as her minions? Because they all seemed... Both. Okay, well, that's what I thought. I think, it's like, either yeah, the ones to preserve, to keep, and then the ones that she needs to use. Yeah, and then she's like, well, this, this guy, he's a big guy. He'll be a good bodyguard for me or something. Minion. Okay. He then explain the then explain the line that Ada has where she tells the doctor when he's in monster form about the conversion. She says that um, her mom is using a diluted form on the people like Clara who are in those uh, glass the build, things. The bell jar. Yeah. Everybody's getting dropped into diluted crimson horror mixtures. Okay. The only thing that suggested, the only one that suggested that it was a full dose was Edmund. The doctor does do is like, oh, maybe he dropped into a full bat. Uh, he got okay. a full dose of the Crimson Horror. Um, and that's, you know, that killed him. I don't know why they make that distinction, but yeah, it is like the big gigantic vats. They, that's not, that's water mixed with the poison. Okay. And they plan on raining down the undiluted. Yes, poison. I think that's it. Yes. Okay. And the, the part I was having a problem with was because I know from reality and history what extent people go through in cult. So I didn't know if the people that were more susceptible to her persuasion and just being followers were her followers and weren't part of that experiment. And the ones that were better, brighter, they were the ones being put into the bell jars and suspended until after the fact. So I didn't know if her minions were affected by it or they just regularly brainwashed wanting to be part of something bigger. Like that woman who was talking to Jenny in line was like, she only chooses certain people to be, to, for the experiment or, or to be, uh, to live in Sweetville, the, 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 you know, the, 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 the desirable people. And then she just, you know, so you get rejected, but of those people that were chosen, not everyone survives the process. Okay, so if you're rejected, you don't get dunked at all. You're just like, right. oh, you're just this like, isn't no, gonna sorry. work out. Bye. You don't have a you don't have a golden ticket. Yeah, you and then you get you just kind of leave Sweetville right. without ever. Right, but then you'll be killed by that. the the rocket spray that's supposed to be happening right. later. Okay. Now we understand the <laughs> the diabolical plan. Yeah. It's Moonraker. Yeah, it is. It's even got a rocket. <laughs> Oh, I did like um, for the the reconversion, how for the doctor anyways, it had a, the green light from the Sonic, which was mm -hmm. nice, like pairing against the red, which yeah. is also what confused me later. I thought the Sonic had a lot to do with his reconversion. And then when Claro's reconverted, there was no, like the doctor had the Sonic outside, I think, doing something else. Like th there was no Sonic involved. Mm. Well, I think because he was, he had an adverse reaction to the, uh, and that's how I explained venom. it. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. was doing extra where Clara just needed the normal right. reawakening. Yeah. Or that he knew how to do the controls, but he couldn't speak and tell her. So it's like they were able to do the Sonic to do it. Ah, uh, yes. But from the outside, he can go ahead and press whatever's needed to react. Yeah. I thought she, I always assumed she had the Sonic in there. Or, oh. or he set the Sonic to work, mm. shut the door. Again, unclear. Wait, I have to see it again. This... I, I, I mean, if the, if we're, we're talking about is those boos were originally made to reanimate everyone. That should then have been all he had put to do the was, dialogue. Yeah. yeah, it should have been put in the dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> they missed that one line. They missed that one. Let's <laughs> <laughs> nice try, Mark. <laughs> Some might say he missed the mark. <laughs> <laughs> one thing, um, did you guys catch the, the boner joke when Jenny yes. like stripped? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I had to point it out to Kelsey. I missed it. Yeah. 
when she quick. De- when she when she reveals the cat suit, he's holding the Sonic up, and then he looks at it and puts it. No, down. he's holding it. He's pointing it, and it goes up, and it then he looks slowly. at it and like slowly puts it back. Down. Oh, oh, well, yeah, yeah. So it goes up, and then he looks at it and puts it down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I I miss that. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, <laughs> not everybody. <laughs> The doctor and Jenny discover the preserved Clara in a giant bell jar displayed in a living room and take her to a conversion room. Mrs. Gillyflower finds out about Ada keeping the doctor alive. She rejects Ada and sends her guards to find the doctor. Jenny beats up half the guards when Strax arrives to shoot the others. Vastra is confused when Jenny says that they are helping Clara. Long story. Clara emerges all better. Vastra tells the doctor about her people's worst plague, a red parasite that secreted a fatal poison. The parasite must have evolved. They realize that Mrs. Gillyflower is going to poison the air and judgment will rain down on everyone. The doctor runs across the crying Ada. He thanks Ada for saving his life and asks who Mr. Sweet is, but she won't betray her mother. They go to Mrs. Gillyflower's room, who is delighted that he's turned up again, so she and Mr. Sweet can deal with them. She reveals that Mr. Sweet is a parasite feeding off her chest. She briefly monologues about her evil plan to rain poison down on everyone, so her preserve Adam and Eve can awaken in a few months' time to a golden dawn. The monologue continues with the reveal that Ada was the first test subject. She was used to discover how much venom would work. Overhearing this, Ada absolutely loses her shit and attacks her mother. Clara uses a chair to destroy the main control system. Using Ada as a hostage, Mrs. Gillyflower runs to secondary launch mechanism, conveniently located in the dramatic ascending stairwell set. The rocket launches successfully. Well done, 1893. <laughs> I don't get that, but... They built a functioning rocket in 1893 it just it's just as it launched it was like okay i i i take that as like oh but the creature wasn't an alien the creature was a prehistoric thing yeah what's up with that (laughs) but they the the creature has been around since the time of the salorians they were technologically advanced right so it it it, it remembers Oh, but except Auburn, it was like a, it was like a tiny little leech. It wasn't, it's like grown. You don't know if he trans, if, if it transferred intelligence into her. Genetic. Into her, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but this like, parasite I mean, I just, was I really, really small in the water. Cause that's what. Back then. Even, yeah, but I remember she, uh, Vastro was looking at it. Going, this can't be the same thing that we had. So I don't know if some of the poison is like it's offspring or whatever. Cause it feels small things in the water. It just seemed. Right. And I think Auburn, you're saying it's evolved over time, but it's evolved with intelligence and right. Could have. Yeah. And this, this individual, Mr. Yeah. Build a rocket. I think it's intelligent. Yeah. I only I only wrote that just to be like I have the same reaction to the giant cyber king. Yeah. I was yeah. just walking over Victorian London. Yeah. It's like, okay, it's Victorian London and you built this and it works perfectly. It didn't um, even have to be a rocket. It could have they could have just made like if you wanted to be kind of Jules Verne about it, it could have been a balloon, but it also could have been like an incredibly tall chimney you know that would have been something fantastical from that era that Mm. went up like a chimney that was a mile high 
you know, just to kind of keep it grounded in some sort of reality. Uh, you know what? I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot. Clara says one line. Well, she, and about in the hallway, she's trying to get his attention, trying to get his attention. He's being the doctor. And when he finally, you know, when she finally gets his, his attention, she says, a chimney that doesn't have smoke? And it's like, you've never, for the script writer, you've never mentioned a chimney before. You didn't yeah. set your, it feels like they were paying off something that got edited out. Yeah. So and the next sense, time though. I watched it, the next time yeah. I watched it, I was specifically going, am I just missing the chimney without smoke reference? And, and I don't see and, it. It's not there. It's like you haven't brought up a chimney without smoke. So when she's saying that, it's like, I don't even know what chimney you're talking about at all. So, and I think that goes along with when I was confused about like, I, I, I like the idea, oh, they're playing fake factory noises. That's cool. And then I was like, why? Uh, you know, so it's, it, I think it's sort of that idea. So maybe there was some sort of thing that was cut out. In, in, there in had to regard. have been some scene where the doctor's like, oh, what's a factory that's not a factory? What's a mm -hmm. factory that doesn't make loud noises? Or even just, oh. yeah, or even townspeople reacting to the noise or townspeople reacting to the chimney. Never seen smoke come out of it, though. In this I version, with it. The, the doctor and Clara arriving are all in that montage. So if there had been like a mm -hmm. previous version of this or a script version at some point where we saw them arrive and have some dialogue, like more dialogue than what was done in that quick recap because that's the only place that it, it could have been right like because clara was on ice after that on my second run through that's what i was specifically looking for i went back to the sepia tone timey wimey section and, and clara doesn't look at the chimney yeah oh well one star <laughs> yeah i think there was something missing from previously but it was to show clara knows what she's doing she is observant that's the clara that i grew to like you know, this is the reason you're looking for the silo or something for the rocket it's like it's a good shape for a silo it's like that has no smoke perfect so it's just showing her intelligence and being able to put things together that's the reason that part was there yeah there's a moment oh i think it's in this and in, in what we just covered um similar to that where you're confused um when they're when they um when claire destroys the the uh organ type thing with the chair we after after she does that we go outside to strax and the kid and strax gives the kid a knowing nod and then and then walks towards the, the the chimney and on first viewing i was like wait how would strax know what just happened inside what what's what what i realized on the second viewing i was like oh he's about to climb that chimney and so the knowing nod that he gives to the kid is like i'm gonna go climb this chimney talking about strax I enjoy when he finds the little street urchin. His name is Thomas Thomas, and he gives him directions saying, bear left uh, bear left for a quarter mile and you will have reached your destination. Right. So it's like, is it the Thomas guide, but also Tom Tom? <laughs> oh, I bet you it is. I was trying to find things I liked about this episode. I It went right over my head, so I didn't even mind it. He, pick, he picks up this child GPS. Yeah, I, I think they were... No sense. It's just, oh my, wow. I mean, it's to me, it was just like, we're moving into the, I'm getting angry at this terrible episode when the Tom Tom shows up. I think they were filling out the cast for the spinoff. They needed the <laughs> the kid in the spinoff so series. The kid, was the kid cousin Oliver? Yeah, he was going to be like the Tom, he was going to be the quirky kid that gives directions right. in the series every episode. What I also did like about that, and I never picked up on this, was that, that Strax is wearing his Centauran armor underneath his cloak. Yes, yeah. he is. So he was battle ready. I really did enjoy that. 
I like well, I like Strax with the horse. That was yeah. very yeah. good. I laughed at that. The fourth one this week. That's yes. a good joke. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then when Strax came in, he said Santar Ho. And then like Santar Ha. Santar Ha. I was yeah. ready to kick butt. That was good. I liked how I like the scene with Bastro where she's like, Okay, you're a little too worked up right now. You need to go outside. Oh, I don't want you know. Well her her line is, Have you been eating those sherbet jelly fancies again? And his look is just like, No. <laughs> did you see did, did you notice Jenny's look? Jenny's yes. face is really like, mmm. <laughs> we know you did it. That was such a, a comedic exit because like on in theaters or the, theater plays, if you make a dramatic exit, it's short. But if you make a long exit, it's comedic. Mm -hmm. So the, I like that they kept it on him as he's walking away from the camera. Mm -hmm. uh, Did like uh, Diana Rigg when she asks the doctor, what are these? And it's her hands, the wrong hands. Yeah. <laughs> that was such a great line. Deliciously evil. <laughs> I mean, that's one thing that it kind of shines in that moment because you can tell how much fun she's having. Yes. I wondered there was the, the line though that I laughed. I thought it was very funny, but I think it was out of character for the doctor to say, but when he's introducing himself, he's like, hello, I'm the doctor and you're nuts. And I felt that the doctor wouldn't, I laughed, I would say that, but I don't think that the doctor would do that. It, it's a bit rude. I think um, this doctor and, would, I bought it. And and earlier in the thing when when, he actually does the the whistle and whirling his finger around like she crazy it's just like would the doctor do that i mean i you know you could make an argument for it but it does kind of just stand out for me would the doctor actually use the twirly finger it, to me it's like it, it, to put it to put it in it's not that that's not woke he's being unwoke you know we don't say the word i mean there's been other instances in this podcast where we've had discussions where it's like I'm just commenting going, the doctor wouldn't say nuts. Just like the doctor, because because in, in, in polite television, you have to be so sensitive to everybody now that you don't want to offend anybody. And so there's a part of me that thinks nuts is a word that, you know, like you could just see like therapists just being like, you don't say that term, you're gonna trigger somebody. It actually felt a little British to me in the way that um, obviously some other derogatory terms are, aren't as harsh in Britain. But also uh, on Doctor Who, I, I've, the doctor would tell people to shut up a lot and then come to find out like shut up is more like a quiet you, uh, you know, in Britain compared to here. Things like that. There's some sharp words in that regard that to us they're sharp in today's society, but in Britain they're not. That's what it felt like to me. Yeah, the, the thing that I was going to say is I, I like what you're saying, Brian. I, I, I agree with you that it's not uh, the term nuts shouldn't have been used. But I will say that I feel like after he said that, it almost gave Diana Rigg a, a permission to become so crazy. And, and it's almost like it's not so much the doctor was like calling her, you belong in an insane asylum, more of like, you've been feeding off of this creature's nectar for so long that you have genuinely oh, gone insane and you are not perceiving reality the way that reality is. And your decision to like wipe out humanity is insane. Like, he, did, he, well, didn't, he didn't call her crazy. He called her nuts. Yeah, your little explanation. Your little explanation right now was much more interesting than what he said in that way. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of sorry I brought it up because I'm saying I actually like it. 
I like that the doctor says nuts and that the writers weren't like, let's not, let's, let's not offend anybody. I like the fact that all of a sudden you're presented with this, oh, well, that's not something that you would hear on television today. And it's like, yeah, because it's funny. So I'm not, I know, I mean, it's like, I, it, I'm not, I know why he's saying it. It makes sense in context of the story, but it's like, you know, it's if, like, I'm the doctor and you're a bitch. They wouldn't write that, but that's what I'm comparing this to. It's like, I'm surprised that they had him say the word nuts. It's like, I'm the doctor and you're mad. That would be British. Or I'm the doctor and you, I'm the doctor and you need to get some help. I only learned a couple of years ago, we're not supposed to say gypsy. Exactly. So. Why didn't they, you know, it's like, my thing is, this is the same example. They said Romani instead of Gypsy. That was nice. They were being politically correct. I don't think selling somebody nuts in a Doctor Who kids show is politically correct. Yeah. But, I'm uh, surprised they did it, but I am very proud of them. I'm them. glad by the time we can't say almost everything, I'll be dead. Oh, no, it's going to happen in about three weeks. Well, I, then... Yeah, well, like you said. No. <laughs> yeah. I Brian, I think some of it might be like when I get a list of of words to avoid from a network, it is a list, you know, that lawyers have mm -hmm. gone over. Yeah. So yeah. so if nuts wasn't on the list that they had at the time, but Romani was the preferred, you know, like no, you get, know. Yeah. get the old things and the preferred new things. And yeah. yeah, it just depends on what's on the list when. I've had yeah. those lists at work too, and they're so much fun to read. Yeah. And some of <laughs> it, you're, you're just trying to figure out going, what's wrong with that one, you know? And that's the thing, like who's, yeah, what's what's the thing this year or what's the thing at the time that is in the news or everyone's, and, and it's only in the news because BBC would have made it a mandate, right, across their shows to yeah. stop saying this, start saying that. Right. I did not know Romani was politically correct. I thought it was just more accurate. It is. Because you know, so, that was even Buffy and other things in the 90s. Just because, you know, uh, Gypsy became offensive. And now you can't even say he gypped me because that comes from Gypsy, which I didn't know gypped came from Gypsy. Mm. Yeah. So it was like, what's wrong with Gypped? Oh, that's, oh, that's what's wrong with it. Okay, so. Yeah, we can have this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> we can have a whole other podcast. Yeah. Well, moving back to the, uh, the organ that is revealed to be some sort of like control device. Uh, this isn't the first time that something like this has happened. The 10th the Doctor played an organ to stop uh, Lazarus in the Lazarus Experiment, also written by Mark. Yeah, Anderson. I was going to say, who wrote that one? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then the, uh, the TARDIS has turned into an organ with uh, the 6th Doctor in Attack of the Cybermen. Hmm. And with a snap, Bastra and Jenny reveal themselves holding the jar of poison. What are the odds? Strax shoots from far above, knocking the railing and causing Mrs. Gillyflower to fall many stories to the bottom. Mr. Sweet abandons a dying Mrs. Gillyflower, as parasites do. Ada and Mrs. Gillyflower share a Gillyflower bonding moment and Mom dies. The rocket explodes harmlessly above the factory. Hearing the doctor plan to take Mr. Sweet back to Jurassic Park, Ada again loses her and beats the parasite to death. Everyone else seems, well, fine actually. The doctor tells Ada that she will be splendid and kisses the murdering psychopath on the cheek goodbye. Jenny says that the doctor hasn't explained about Clara. No, I haven't, he replies. Back home, the kids, who? Confront Clara with pictures of her throughout history. They are pictures of her, aren't they? Including the one in Victorian London. No, that can't be. Clara was in Victorian Yorkshire. Oops. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was losing my mind by the time I wrote this paragraph. I couldn't take it anymore. And I just went with it. And I had fun. He's no, a murdering I, I psychopath. Like, like, you're going to be splendid. I'm going to put you in this asylum over here. Well, come on, she had reason to beat up that little thing. <laughs> oh, like, yeah, well, that makes it okay. I also, you know, considering just her whole behavior through the thing, if, if that was her mother who raised her, that type of woman, she's probably got a lot of other psychological issues going on. You're just expanding on my point. <laughs> her whole <laughs> life doctor is not about her, you know, her father. It was all her mother. Yeah, her father didn't that do it. The testing that was done. I'm just saying this woman is messed up and he shouldn't be telling her she's going to be splendid. Well, she's going to inherit Sweet Bill. She'll sell it. I'm sure and the new land... chocolate. Yeah. Yes, maybe that <laughs> yeah. maybe that is actually the origin of Willy Wonka's chocolate. Yeah, she marries Sweet Bill. So she starts Willy. making candy. Wonka's, you know, born later. He says this would be a great factory. It's already a candy factory. It's already got and, secret rooms. And then all the Oompa Loompas are really Santarans diluted right. with a genetic. <laughs> right. Uh, and they they have that color skin. That's how they got the orange because they changed it a bit from. And then he and then he tells the people who were paving the front courtyard to put a little hole right there. What's that for? Oh, no reason. You know, meanwhile, he plans on pretending to have a limp and he's going to stick his cane in that little hole and do a somersault for the long con. So, so this is your next uh, fan fiction assignment, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> he does also need the cane because Ida warned him about tiny parasites. Right, that's why he had the cane. He found Ida's cane, didn't know it was a, a blind person's <laughs> cane. So yeah, I'll use this. <laughs> And then he went kind of nuts, singing. <laughs> Oompa Loompa, listen to me. The crimson horror is something to see. <laughs> no one ever remembers that first, do they? Right, no. <laughs> I did like the backup plan of having Vassar and Jenny take the poison out of the rocket just in case. I thought that was really smart having that plan B. What really shocked me, though, was Strax misses. Did, yeah, well, then I was thinking, well, did he miss? I mean, writing-wise, basically, you can't have one of your heroes kill someone in cold blood. It's Strax. So, <laughs> I, I know. That's what his whole motivation just... would be, that he would not miss. He's not trying I to know. get in. It's just sort of, he completely misses. It's also <laughs> it's not, not even like what he causes, She's firing causes a it gun. to collapse for her to fall over. That's not even it. He just I think it's a of pearls. I think it's a Terminator 2 situation where he's been told he's not allowed to kill. Right. Because even when he came in to shoot the the supermodels, like he was kind of shooting above them. It was more to scare them than to actually It was more suppressing fire than yeah. lethal. But uh, also I... we get that lovely shot of her falling down the dramatic sterile set. But I got a kick out of that whole one shot they kept uh the same as shot they kept going back to of the, the cast on the stairs reacting to whatever was going on down there, like, all right, now <laughs> she's dead. Oh, okay. Now she's, the, the parasite's crawling away. Oh, okay. Now the parasite is being squashed and murdered. Oh. Yes, it, that was funny, and I think it was intentionally supposed to be funny. Yeah, yeah. It's like editing 101. Like, if your character's looking this way, then, you know. Yeah, that was, that was good. Uh, at the end, when the TARDIS is back, they say that it's got some soot on it. And it's funny that we the last time we mentioned the soot on the TARDIS was in uh, the snowman, yeah. where it was up in the clouds and it looked a little dirty. But this time it's actually uh, brought up in dialogue. He says, look at all the muck in here, right before he enters it. Yeah, 
Hmm. I didn't catch that. I saw it. And, and this... did, did you? I was when I was watching it the second time. I was like, "Is this a completely failed joke?" Because Clara says she's tired of Victorian values and walks into the TARDIS, and then he says, "Huh? Look at the muck on this," and and is like, "I got to go talk to Clara about this." I thought it was a failed joke, an attempt at a failed joke to say, "Hey, this is our house, and you need to clean our house, woman." Mm-hmm. Which didn't land at all. Yeah. I was really trying to figure it out. Because why he said that, why that line was there. Oh, yeah, I think that's what it is. She says, I'm tired of Victorian values. And then he says something very Victorian. Yes. Yeah. Sure. All right. It should have been done a thousand times better. There's a yes. lot of weird writing things here. <laughs> One thing that I kind of, I don't know if geeked out is the the proper term, but when Clara's back in modern times and the kids are showing her, or is it right before that? Or it's after that. She, they're, they're on the counter where they have that computer and that conversation. She plays with a, a robot toy. That's a Galvatron figure from Transformers. And that was the release the same time that Jenna Coleman was born in 1986. So I thought that oh. was... I don't know if that's on purpose, but I was like, that's very serendipitous that both of them originated in the same year. It's weird and funny. Yeah, that could Apparently have been a coincidence. Albert has that toy. I had oh, yeah. past oh, tense. Oh. Yes, I remember it. Did Kelsey throw it away? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just last week. <laughs> he told me to clean the house. <laughs> I thought it was very Victorian values of him at the time. <laughs> and the other thing that I found similar to a, an older episode was that Angie and Artie are going and showing her photos that they found on the internet, very similar to the way the Ninth Doctor, or sorry, Rose did when she went and saw that guy in the shed, and he had those uh, those real. To us now, it looks really bad. Those photoshopped pictures of the Ninth Doctor in certain things. In the best episode ever? Rose. Oh, was that in Rose? Oh, I'm, I'm Rose. thinking of the pictures in um, Love and Monsters. No, that is in Rose. Oh, okay. On Rose, what happened to Clive is he died. So what's going to happen with the kids now that they're pulling the same thing of searching for Clara and the doctor? Well, if Brian has this way, they're both going to die. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping. A little blackmailers were not the, fulfilled. The autoplay started the next one, and Kelsey was like, oh, this is the one with kids. <laughs> I always get a kick out of the device of time travelers being caught in photographs over time. I I like that stuff. But like, I'm sitting here, I'm not crazy about, at first I was like, oh, kids are figuring it out. But now I'm actually like, how's she gonna get out of this? So I'm kind of like, my, my intrigue fuse has been lit on watching this a second time. Um, I think also my annoyance might have a lot to do with the score that's being played under this last scene. It's very big and the scene is not big and epic. And so I think that maybe also like, um, as I was watching it hindered the children actor performances because it was, it didn't match. So I don't want to say that they're horrible actors quite yet, but I found them annoying in this scene. And I I wish the episode didn't include this last scene. with you about the kids but with the music it, i think it's a big and epic revelation for clara this is the moment where clara's like yeah, clara sees that picture of herself yeah i'm not oh, not just that not of herself not that, of herself. that's what i meant that's what i meant yeah. yeah so it is like this is the turning point in her character that's how i viewed it but it just wasn't done well and it just kind of it was very situation comedy like the writing of that last button mm-hmm. And I'm gonna tell know, my mom. Well, yeah, and the whole I wasn't in Victorian. I was in Victorian Yorkshire. <gasps> Oops. Yeah. 
like yeah yeah, yeah it's very yeah not not it's, quite it, the realism that we're used to from Doctor it feels Who. like it's the teaser for the next episode and, and it's, it's like not? and she goes and no no it's it's it should have been the front it, i'm saying it physically should have been the teaser of the first the next episode the oh, cold oh, open oh, oh, where it's like oh. where it's like i was in victorian yorkshire right cut to opening credits not cut mm. to closing credits even if she looked right at the screen then but i was in the, in the realization of oops looking at it from the doctor's point of view the doctor has averted the crisis right like he got to wipe claire's memory but now he doesn't know but we know as the audience that she knows something's up so Mm -hmm. but it's like three's company yeah yeah that's what (laughs) i mean it's like very situation comedy Oh my God! Does that make the kids the Ropers? Yeah, there you go. Depends <laughs> if you're a Roper or a Furley fan, you know. Ropers, Ropers all the way. So on the next episode, they go to the Regal Beagle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's seventy. Poor Larry. Cool. Anything else? Yeah, I think covered it. All right. Well, as you can tell, this is the companion light. Oh episode. yes, I do have oh, one thing. You liar. Small thing. Too late. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if you all agree of this. As far as Mr. Sweet, the stupidest looking puppet that was so that was incredibly well puppeteered. <laughs> it was creepy and it did its job, but like I was like, really? And, but the way it was puppeteered was so lifelike, I found. Hmm. And I also don't know how I feel about that. It basically seemed to be a callback to the movie Total Recall, but that's all. Oh, I have. oh yeah, Quado. we didn't mention Quado. Quado. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or. A little bit with um, the new Stargate series, the Guaul, that kind of have that same symbiotic, (laughs) worm-like spoilers. I also (laughs) don't know if symbiotic would have been a a vocabulary word back in Victorian time for her to say, but whatever. Well, that's just because Mr. Sweet was so smart. He was telling her what's happening. He's like, don't worry, this is called symbiosis. (laughs) Well, she was really smart too, right? Before she was an engineer and a chemist. Oh, did they say that? Yeah, they did. It was dialogue, yeah, very quick. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. To explain how remember... she could build a robot and make a poison. Oh, okay. She has a double PhD. So as we can tell from this episode, this is the companion light episode of the season because Jenna Coleman is barely in it. Hmm. Oh, I didn't notice, hmm. actually. Because her presence is so well presented, which is there. Like salt sprinkled throughout. <laughs> yes. Well, also, you have the, the Paternoster gang that rounds out the crew this time around. So it's we have... somewhat of a Doctor Light episode as well. Yeah. Consider yeah. that. Yeah, I think we this, have... one, this one in the previous episode, Gen- Journey to the Center of the TARDIS, if you look at them two as a whole, I think they're Doctor and Companion Light. Because, yeah. like, and even Auburn, I didn't even notice when you were saying in Journey to the Center of the TARDIS, it looks like at one point Clara's got her back turned. I said that. You said that, well, who, somebody said, is it even Jenna Coleman? Yeah. And it could not be Jenna Coleman because she's off doing other, st- you know, could be the, the light aspect mm-hmm. of both these episodes. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I agree. Uh, so we have returning Neve McIntosh as Madame Vastra, Katrin Stewart as Jenny, Yay. and Dan Starkey as Strax. Rachel Sterling plays Ada. She was the Duchess of Sutherland in The Young Victoria. Oh. 
Mary Jones in Salmon Fishing in the Yemen. Brendan Patrick's was Edmund and Mr. Thursday. As we discussed, they are brothers. He was Evelyn Napier in Downton Abbey. Graham Turner plays Amos, the Undertaker. I enjoyed how much he was hamming up his scenes. We didn't talk about him, but yeah, I, oh, he, was good. he was great. He was good. Yeah, he was. I missed all of his references because they were very, very British and maybe even of that time. So I never would have gotten them, but yeah, he was, he fun was really, to watch. he was really creepy. Oh, you know, I'm like, he's using his tongue as like <laughs> as another limb. Yeah, it's great to gesticulate with. But we we also didn't discuss Mr. Thursday's wonderful moment of fainting over and over again. He had to do it three times. Com the role of comedy, right? Right, Josh? Yeah, the, yeah, the role. Yes, yeah, three times. Yeah. I feel like that rule was broken in this episode because I didn't laugh. Yeah. So uh, Graham Turner, who plays Amos, he, else, he does a lot of UK stuff. Uh, the ones that kind of stuck out to me was that he was Skinner in The Infinite Worlds of H.G. Wells. Olivia Vinal plays Effie. She's the blonde girl, the, uh, the wife of Edmund in the very beginning. Michelle Tate plays Abigail. She's the girl with the teeth as uh, Jenny bribes her or pays her off to faint in Sweetville. Jack Oliver Hudson plays the urchin boy or Tom Tom as we have nicknamed him. And uh, we previously saw Abe DeLeon Allen and Cassius Carey Johnson that play uh, Angie and Artie in the Bells of St. John. Who are they in this show? They're the same. The kids. The two kids at the end. Oh, the kids, oh. the kids. She's watching. And then uh, the late Dame Diana Rigg plays Mrs. Winifred Gilliflower. She played Lady Holiday in The Great Muppet Caper, Tracy right. in On Her Majesty's Secret Service, mm. Emma Peel in The Avengers, yeah. and Olena Tyrell in Game of Thrones. Yay! She was the Duchess of Bucklew in Victoria. And she is the mother of Rachel Sterling, who plays Ada in real life. Really? No this way. Is, this is the first time that they have worked together. And this episode was specifically written for mother and daughter. Aww. Gaddis had worked with Rachel on a play who mentioned to him in passing that they have never appeared, meaning Diana Rigg, together in anything. So Gaddis went off and said, I'm going to tailor something for you both in Doctor Who. And so he came up with this premise. Oh, that's fun. So Josh, that's that explains like why Diana Rigg had so much fun mm -hmm. and how uh, uh, Rachel Sterling was just so good in what she was doing because she was having fun with her mom. Mama. <laughs> oh, we didn't talk about it, but I love their final words to each other. It's yeah. so in character. Mm -hmm. See, that's in, see for me, that works perfectly. You're not expecting it. You're not expecting her to say, I don't forgive you. Oh, that's a shock. And then when mom says good, it's like you're not expecting that. And then all of a sudden, because of those two reactions, it all is just perfect. It's so them. It's so in character. I love that part. Good job, Mark Gaddis. <laughs> credit. The story uh, marks the 100th episode since the program's revival in 2005. Oh, wow. And uh, Diana Rigg is credited as Dame Diana Rigg, as opposed to Sir Michael Gambon in uh, The Christmas Carol. He was just credited as Michael Gambon. Was he a sir at that point, though? I think oh. so. I think it's their choice. They can do it if they want. Right. So, The Crimson Horror, who is this episode good for? Or more specifically, this episode is good for who? A new viewer, a casual viewer, a fan of the show, or a diehard? 
I I'm gonna say not quite a new viewer, but especially after recently watching Journey to the Center of the TARDIS, uh, kind of softens this one a little bit for me. So I, I I'll say a fan. Like I really did enjoy it. Um, it, it didn't. It wasn't a hundred percent. Like, and I don't think it would be a good way to introduce anybody to the show. But especially if people, you know, have a little bit of history with Vastra and Jenny and Strax, like it's it's a fun episode. I'm also gonna say fan. I do think the first time you see this, you need to see it in order, you know, because then you get more of the relationship of Clara and the Eleventh Doctor. She has some great lines and moments, like, well, you know, when he says, "I've got a sonic," well, I've got a chair, <laughs> you know, it's like that's Clara. That's the one we love. And then he mimics Zachary. I got a chair, and he does through the window. It's like, and her her look. So it has good moments. It's fun. If you're gonna watch it again, you're gonna do it as you know the, a fan, but casually, just out of order and what this is. I think you get more out of it knowing what's coming and what's happening in the reveal of it. So for me, fan. Um, the only time I've even remotely enjoyed this episode is this podcast when we were talking about it. Um, I haven't watched this episode since it first aired and I'll probably never watch it again. Um, so I'm going to say die hard. I think, I think this, I think nothing works in this episode. It has all these good um, pieces that get put together horribly. I just, I'd, I'd rather watch Love and Monsters. Um, what about yeah, Fear Her? Yeah. Where do you uh, rate fear, it with Fear Her? I'd rather watch Fear Her. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Easy. Um, that one's really easy. Yeah. Fear Her over this any day of the week. Um, yeah. I hate this episode. I don't like anything. And, and I enjoyed doing the podcast, and I was worried because I did not think I would enjoy this podcast because it's this episode. I hate this episode. <laughs> so just to be clear, so, new? new viewer. <laughs> <laughs> I'll recommend this for a new Law and Order SVU fan. <laughs> this episode will get beaten out by another episode in 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 a while from now. I know which one you are referring to. Yeah, but this one, please don't. I just, ooh boy. Um, I. Uh, no surprise. I'm on the I'm on the opposite of Brian once again. Um, I love this episode. I watched it three times for this podcast. Once I'm in the episode, I love it. Like I think it's just a great ride, and um, a lot of that has to do with the acting, um, the the writing, whether improv or not, uh, the editing, the music. I think it all just works for this episode. Now, saying that, I don't think I would necessarily show this to someone if they're like, I want to watch Doctor Who and I've never watched it before. So I'm not going to recommend it for a new Who viewer, but I do feel like if you are just casually watching through and you stumble upon this episode, there are some things you're going to miss seeing it out of order. I think that the the fun of this episode outweighs that. Um, so I'm going to say casual. I think this is a fun episode. Uh, well, I don't love this episode, but I really like it. Uh, but I'm going to be a little controversial and say a new viewer. I wouldn't be like, yeah, I got to show this to a new viewer. But I feel like if a new viewer watched this, anything that's really what I feel wrong with it is because of what we already know about the Doctor and the show. And anything like that, a new viewer is not even going to be aware of, and they're just going to enjoy the fun. And I think it's got enough of the, you know, the elements of the series to give someone a good sample and there's nothing wrong 
with those things and they're also kind of bottle show like um the problems with it are because the problems that would be with any show it's not really about i don't think it would taint the opinion of someone who had no idea about doctor Who. what is this doctor who well i'm about to watch this episode i wouldn't say it's necessarily good for a new viewer but it's okay for a new who viewer this episode, I've only seen it once for the original broadcast. I haven't even watched it since since I bought the DVD, and it was only this week that I've watched it twice. So I, I can count that I have watched this episode three times. <laughs> uh, I, I don't remember having fond memories of this episode. It was almost like I was watching a new episode because I had no clue what was going on. So that's sort of fun, but then we we start dissecting it for a podcast there's a lot of things that are not so great the the period dressing as we mentioned uh, that's really well done uh, everybody's wardrobe uh, the locations they shot in i love all of that the writing is not so great for me uh it's not my particular favorite of this contrasting nature of something very dangerous and life-threatening with something kind of treating it lightly and trite with the, the humor but I do enjoy now researching it that Diana Rigg and Rachel Sterling got to play together as mother and daughter on a production and they've never done that before. So that I like. Diana Rigg is really great in this episode. If you focus on her, uh, there's a lot to get out of that. But yeah, I, I don't think I will watch this episode again in the near future. So I'll put, have to put into a fan because I was able to revisit it and, and pull out the things that are worth highlighting that are good. So that wraps up the Crimson Horror. Thanks for listening, stay safe, and we will see you next time when the future becomes the present. You've just listened to an episode of Who Knew? Our wonderful theme music is by Michael Grady. Find him on Facebook at The Universe Explodes. All our episodes are engineered by Auburn. You can find him at auburnbinkley.com. You can also find this show in several places. Follow us on Twitter at Who Knew Podcast. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash whonewpodcast. All our episodes are on whonewpodcast.com. Visit our Facebook page. Please leave comments, reviews, and click like to help support Who Knew Podcast. To listen to our show on your Amazon Echo device, enable the AnyPod podcast skill. Ask AnyPod to play the Who Knew Podcast. This podcast is inspired by Doctor Who. The longest-running sci-fi show in history. And especially the revival, spearheaded by Russell T. Davis. Thanks to Russell, Sidney Newman, Verity Lambert, Ron Grainer, Delia Derbyshire, and all those involved in the adventures of our favorite Time Lord. Your work continues to inspire and entertain.